previously on The Show Show. So I guess my question here is, what the, why the hell is the show called The Mosquito Coast? It's all crazy or it's all real? Well, I don't know if I want to watch the second season, but... I never felt there was a payout. Awkward intergenerational love triangle? But yeah, unfortunately, I didn't really like any of the characters. And I have a man crush on Justin Theroux, but I don't know if he was, like, amazing. The saga of tone-deaf tourism. What's the point? They didn't add anything to the show. So, so gonna throw a little tiny conspiracy theory out there. Out of nowhere, it's Justin Theroux in the Chamber of Secrets down there. But Morrissey just seems like a turd. Oh, the wheel. I question the choices. Come on, get over yourself. How how unrealistic was that scene? So, like he walks in. Oh, could you just look up for a second? Slice the throat. We don't care about him anymore. And it's like even worse, Ozark. What's Xbox? Oh, he was for sure going to get murdered. What is happening? Everyone is, like, filthy and has cell phones? He went off the rails. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the problem, is whenever you start to deviate too much from the source material, it gets all crappy and stupid, Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. If Apple TV is the only thing you've got, you might give it a shot. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Show Show, the number one podcast for people who love TV. In this episode, we will be discussing a 2021 HBO limited series from writer, director, and Razzie winner Mike White. Look, obviously imperialism was bad. Shouldn't kill people, steal their land, and then make them dance. Everybody knows that. Today on The Show Show, The White Lotus. Hey everybody, I am uh, one of your hosts, I am Jay. Uh, today we've got Aaron with us. hey We also got Tony. Hello. How are we doing today, boys? Doing great, doing great. Feeling pretty good on a cloudy Sunday afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, for all our fans out there looking to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at the Show Show Pod. You can email us at the Show Show TV Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our YouTube page. Uh, we are at Mandamus Radio. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, listen to us, tell a friend. You can find me individually online at J Suisponte. Uh, where can we find you, Aaron? At Tenacious Aaron uh, on Twitter, and that's about it. And Tony? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at tpinquite or on Twitter at tpinquite1. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the show. We're here to talk about White Lotus, which was kind of a, a you could say, a joint choice between me and you, Aaron, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes. After uh, my wife, Christy, was raving about it and saying that she really wanted to know what we thought about it, I definitely put it up as, as my offering. And I think you joined in at the last second and doubled up the chances of it being picked yeah I'm, I'm pretty satisfied that we uh that we ended up choosing it so uh i guess tell us tell us about what do we watch so uh the the you know wikipedia summary so to speak is about a bunch of white tourists who are going to hawaii and they're spending some time to try and relax rejuvenate and it, it shows kind of their lives their controversies their drama mixed in with the um, you know, employees of the hotel, the White Lotus that they're staying at. And it it follows kind of the stories of a couple of different groups of people who've come in for different reasons. Um, 
We've got number one, Armand, the manager who's running the White Lotus. Um, we have the Mossbacher family who's away on vacation, uh, with Nicole Mossbacher being a, a CFO of a like search engine. And uh, I'm not, I don't remember exactly what her husband did, uh, who was played by Steve Zahn, but he also seemed to be successful in his own right. There was also uh, Tanya McQuad, who was paid, played by Stifler's mother, uh, Jennifer Coolidge. And she That's apparently is a Jennifer wealthy. Coolidge. She, she did the great Jennifer Coolidge, absolutely. And she played just, you know, a troubled uh, woman whose mother had died and she was mourning the loss of her mother and kind of in a very, uh, I don't want to say stereotypical fashion, but was trying to spread her ashes into the ocean, which very may well have been her final wishes. Um, we also had um, Rachel and Shane Patton newlyweds um, who were kind of learning a little bit about themselves. And we also had... Um, a couple of other individuals working there at the hotel. I forgot the the lady who was working the spa's name for a second. Belinda. Belinda, yes, Belinda, the resort spa manager. Um, and we also have Olivia and Paula, which are two. Olivia is the daughter of the Mossbachers, and Paula was her friend. And then we have Quinn Mossbacher, who is the youngest son, uh, who's a little bit socially awkward and obsessed with video games. Um, I think that's pretty much everybody involved with our major story. Um, but essentially it follows what's going on and the interactions among all these people. And I, and I will say this, not in a exact way, but if this show very much felt to me a lot like how Crash was all these individual storylines that just kind of slammed into each other. And, and I definitely kind of got that feeling from this show. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but yeah, you're you're right that they kind of can tangentially connect but in most cases and until we get down to about the the climax of the the season they don't really affect each other all that much yeah no that's kind of how like like that's what i mean by like crash like all these individual storylines all kind of tying into this one moment mm -hmm. but i will say it was a dark comedy and i cringed through a lot of it <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the biggest cringe <sighs> Uh, the, the probably one of the biggest cringes was, you know, spoiler alert. Obviously, it's a spoiler cast, but whenever uh, Armand was shitting in the suitcase, I just was like, oh. <laughs> 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 the, the choices of what the show decided to like show in detail was just like weird. Like that was like, I think we could all we all understood what was happening, but I can't believe they showed him like. I'm sure it wasn't like not literal, but they showed him like actually shitting out his shit into the suitcase. Ugh. And then like Steve Zahn's balls, his shaft and balls at the beginning. Yes. Like, did we like, yes. can we just have him looking at his own balls? Like, oh, these are really swollen guys. Come on. Ugh. We got an eyeful of Steve, Steve Zahn balls in the first like 20 minutes of this show. <laughs> the great Steve Zahn. The great, the great absolutely. Known for roles in You've Got Mail and Sahara. <laughs> and and if you haven't seen Strange Wilderness, you probably shouldn't. So, <sighs> yeah, but he, Steve Zahn's one of those guys that he like he's he's one of the greatest that guys that yeah. you're watching a movie and you're like, oh shit, I forgot Steve Zahn was in this. Yeah, no, very 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 true. He's always I'm always pleasantly surprised when he yeah. does something. And this was no exception. Like, in fact, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. Steve Zahn was definitely my favorite part of this entire story. 
Like wow, he okay. he was definitely like his whole arc, his whole story, everything there. I thoroughly enjoyed on that, and there was definitely some pieces of this story that I did not like at all. <laughs> I I really appreciated. Uh, I I also really appreciated Steve Zahn in this show in the way that he was trying to connect with this son who wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, you know, just great, really great performance out of him. Well, do we want to skip ahead? It's usually later, but do we want to talk about who our favorite and least favorite characters were? Or save that till later in? I mean, I've kind of already, you know, broken the seal, so I think it's worth going ahead and going into. Yeah, let's go for it. Who who, uh, who did you like, Tony? I think um, uh, Evil Armand is my favorite character. <laughs> when he was up to no good. Like, I think, man, there are a couple, there's a couple, like, slow-motion Armand walking with like an angry face scenes. I'm like, this guy should be a villain in some sort of movie. Oh yeah. He he really pulled it off, but I just like, I don't know. I don't know if it's ever since like I became a big fan of fly the Concord, just like New Zealand accents and actors just like cracked me up. So yeah, I enjoyed him a lot. No, he, he was great. I, I completely agree. He, his performance, especially that final seating. That was so good. Yes. With the Bach in the background? Yeah. <laughs> I fucking nailed that seating. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree with Tony. Armand was far and away for me my favorite character, you know, from, from start to finish. From in the first episode, he's giving us his, like, hospitality philosophy, uh, which then basically causes everything to just unravel as the series goes on and watching him turn into evil Armand, which I'm, I'm going to borrow that phrase because I love it so much. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a pleasure to behold. Uh, I, I really agree about this actor. Uh, I think it was, was in Murray Bartlett. Yeah. I don't know. If I believe Yeah. He's like the first name on the credits that pops up too. So I was surprised to see that. Well, it's it is alphabetical. You'll notice because oh, it's then okay. Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario. Um, Lost is a show that got me with that for a while, uh, because like the first credited act there was the guy who played Saeed, and I was always like, "Man, I like Saeed, but is he the biggest actor on this show?" Oh, I see. I didn't even pay attention. I didn't realize that. Really yeah, I've never heard of him. I'm sure he's famous for something, but this is the first thing I've seen him in. I, I I hadn't seen him in anything either. Like he's done a lot of TV, it looks like. But I will mm -hmm. say this: he apparently is in the upcoming release, the 2022 release of Last of Us for HBO, which is oh. another one of those v video game TV show makes. So that'll be interesting to see what he does there, especially after this. I think that this I'll watch gonna, it. Yeah, it's going to raise his profile some. Yeah. Now, that, oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I guess if you have to have a PlayStation, but. Last of Us 1, can't say the same for 2, but Last of Us 1 is very, very good if you like video games. So I started playing it, and then my PlayStation died, but I've heard that it is an amazing story. Yeah, it gave me the feels back when it came out. I'm sure it would again if I played it. So then I guess next question is, who was your least favorite? Uh, it's kind of hard. I'll, I'll, dude, I'll rip the bandaid off here. I, I could not stand Rachel. 
Like, really? I did not like Rachel. I didn't believe her character. I the entire her entire story arc. I was like, Shane's a turd and is entitled and a a giant man baby. That's all true. But I really struggled to believe that number one anything about her story. Like I, I was not convinced by the performance. Um, I I just you don't just all of a sudden realize someone's entitled. Like, I understand they tried to build it as, oh, well, they've only dated for three months, and then there was, you know, six months to prepare the wedding. And so, like, she's just now seeing him. You didn't go to restaurants. This guy didn't, like, treat the servers like like shit there. Like, I, and maybe this is me personally, but if I went to a hotel and I paid for a different room, I would probably be a little pissed about it, too. Mm-hmm. And, and I would be like, hey, you guys need to make it right. And I would have probably just said, give me the difference in the cost of the room, like refund me. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I felt like her saying, Oh, I need to take this story and not just realizing that you could, you literally are funded. You could actually go write something other than puff pieces and become a real journalist and not have to, you know, take every PC, you know, piece of crap job possible to, to be a journalist and, and springboard yourself. If you have capital, you don't have to be like his mom and be just like a person who does, you know, charity work. Go write. Go, mm-hmm. go, go embed yourself in some like Soho like scene and, and write something. Like people love that shit. I, I just, I was unconvinced and I, I didn't like her story arc at all. I just, that was to me the weakest part of the story. I really like her, but I do agree. Once the mother showed up, it did become a little harder to swallow that, yeah, it's like, you know, the way the mother's been talking about how she was involved in wedding planning for five months. So, like, I feel like you said it would have these feelings would have come up way sooner. That part was hard to get to suspend a lot of disbelief. Yeah. Once the mother showed up, like, I feel like the husband I was on. I still like the I still like the character a lot in her arc. But, yeah, it did become a little bit harder to believe that she would just now becoming. uh like troubled by her situation. Mm-hmm. See, I think I'm, I disagree a little bit on, on her character and its believability. And I think a, a key scene to her character was when she had that conversation with Connie Britton, who was kind of a, an idol to her. And then Connie Britton just shuts her down once she finds out that Rachel had written a profile of her of her in the past because during that conversation we learned that Rachel basically just ripped it off of a Washington Post article and I guess what that told me was that Rachel just isn't a good journalist so even with all the funding in the world she's never gonna be anything and in subtle ways that's what Shane and Shane's mom were kind of trying to tell her so i think i i think i bit harder on her being a tragic figure than you guys did i i guess to me i just didn't buy the tragedy it wasn't convincing and at the same time like i rich people and their bullshit problems i completely understand but and he should have let it go like like clinging on to stuff should have let it go but armand did escalate Right. Yes. And and, like, and that's the thing that like if if I just I put myself in Shane's situation for one moment, and I was like, if the hotel escalated against me when I, I literally did nothing wrong but pay for my hotel, 
-hmm. Like, I wouldn't be happy. I'd be pissed. It'd be hard to let it go. So maybe I gave a little bit more um, leeway to him. He was a giant man, baby. Mm -hmm. You know, like, but at the same time, she was not turning down work on her um, honeymoon. And to me, I felt like that was incredibly selfish. And that's why I was like, I don't have sympathy for either of you. Like you're you're not really any better than he is. You're you're a a pretty white girl who probably has always gotten your way because you're pretty. And and no offense, like like you said, she's probably a she journalist, so mm-hmm. she's used to kind of having it given to her to a certain degree. And now it's it's way too much given to her, and she's like having an existential crisis. But again, how do you get better? You go right. Mm-hmm. But you could have done that about your hotel. You could have done that about Tahiti. You could write about that kind of crap and get better at it. I don't know. I just, to me, I walked away. That was my least favorite part of the story. Yeah, I suppose you could even go subversive and be the the mole inside high society with Shane exactly. and the people that, and the doors that he opens you up to. Yeah, you know, you're right. Like, she, I think, had a lot more options than she convinced herself that she did yeah uh, and that's maybe that's just me but i at the end when belinda was like i ain't got time for this shit i was like you go girl get out of there belinda this is just another rich bitch that wants you to to cry on your shoulders and make you feel bad for now how about to to try and separate that from the performance of alexandra daddario uh personally i thought she was fantastic I think she played that role very well. I just didn't like her character. I'm trying to stay away from my biases because I've always been <laughs> a big fan of hers, but have to admit it's mostly superficial. Yeah, it seems like almost every long haul flight I've been on for the past like four years has had Baywatch available to to <laughs> to see, and that's the only time when you ever want to watch that movie because you're just like, I've got ten more hours to kill, so. Let's knock out 90 minutes. I don't know. Like, I feel like I watched the first Percy Jackson and I remember like you're in that. I only know her from like um, the first season of True Detectives. Yeah, I was avoiding bringing that one up. (laughs) (laughs) What's that, Tony? I don't know. She's had such a small part. I didn't really want to count in her repertoire, you know. Fair enough. Ugh. I liked her. Like, yeah, to clarify my position, I I did like her character and the story, but I was just saying, yeah, like, once the mom showed up, I found it. Like, there's a lot of plot plots in this show that the characters seemed intelligent, but then they did things where they were very unintelligent. Like, you brought up Armand ex- escalating, like, lying to Shane. Like, what does he think's gonna happen? Like, yeah, not gonna check on it? Like, he's not gonna look at his receipt like he should have just been like oh i think we double booked please let me comp a night or yes but give you a refund on the difference like i don't understand why mm-hmm. and then like a major we've already mentioned spoilers but a major plot point is um what is their name may Bockers? what is their the family's name oh the moss Bockers. moss Bockers. they bring uh Olivia's friend Paula along on their vacation and she has like a love affair with one of the 
employees and he his family's been um like robbed of their land and assets by the hotel i think literally and she she wants to help him by getting this uh, employee to steal jewelry from this rich family the mossbachers and then like but it's so unbelievable to me because like i have no idea how he would have pulled it off because there's cameras in every single hallway there's like a a trail Mm -hmm. for every time once you get into the hotel until you get to their room and then leaving it even if no one i mean spoiler alert people walk in on him in the middle of the crime and he has to escape and then he's eventually caught at the end but like at no point even if no one was going to walk in on him like there was no chance of them getting away with it like never yeah just it just seems so stupid. It was so transparent uh, with Paul Paula asking to put valuables into the safe on the day of the robbery. And this is like day six of the vacation. And it's so transparent that her friend Olivia immediately calls her out on it afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this this brings up a couple of things that like like I did some just reading of different people's perspective on this show. And, and the show is kind of billed as a critique of uh, I don't know if it's necessarily white supremacy per se, but like kind of like white colonialism. But mm-hmm. I honestly feel like they fail at that. And it's a better critique of classism um, mm-hmm. overall. And just my opinion. Uh, and, and one of the things that really bothered me is like, whenever Kai said that like this was stolen from him, I did a little research into the history of Hawaii. And, and I, I, I kind of feel they misrepresent that because the, the, King Kamehameha in the 1800s wanted Western investment into Hawaii, and they didn't have property ownership at that time in Hawaii. So they divide the land up into three portions. Part of it was for the, the the government, part of it was for the king, and part of it was for the people. And like the king sold off his portion of the land to the white investors because they wouldn't come and invest in Hawaii, the kingdom, without the possibility of land ownership. And there was just like a lot of opportunities for the Hawaiian people to claim land, to get fee, simple title to the land. And ultimately, a lot of it, either they just chose not to claim it or like they did and then they sold it. And so, like, I felt like that was kind of like a little bit not representing the true history of what happened. Now, colonialism is bad, like you said, the intro and, and you know, making people dance for your entertainment it, it definitely feels wrong. But, yeah, Steve Zahn was spot on with that one. But at the same time, I, I feel like that that also kind of acts like it was like you know, we we're t- growing up. I don't know if you guys yeah, kind of remember this l- kind of legendary thing. It's like, oh, well, the, the white people came over to the Americas and they gave beans to the Native Americans for the land. And they were like, we don't know what land ownership is. And they just were like, it was just taken like the genocide and all the things that happened in, you know, North America with regards to Native, Native Americans and, and, and all that. For, for sure, horrible. But this one doesn't seem the same. And also, when the, Hawaii joined the union, all of the land, instead of going to the feds, went to the state government of Hawaii. So there's no federal land outside of, like, federal buildings on Hawaii at all. So I, I don't know. To me, this, sits, this feels different. And I feel like also all the white people, quote-unquote, being the critique of white colonialism was also a weird choice. Because it feels like all the people of color, like any minority at all in the show, really faded into the background. Lonnie in the first episode, Kai towards the end, you know, it really focused on the white people for majority of the show. 
Yeah, I, I know. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought up the 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 critique of Im- imperialism and how it fails because I I also very much felt that because I I was kind of hooked on that it felt like the scheme to steal the bracelets with Kai was like a microcosm of this larger problem where the solution offered by Paula is well just steal it from the rich white people but what happens is he gets caught you know people get hurt Kai is probably going to He's definitely going to lose his job. He's probably going to face criminal charges. This is going to affect his future and really fuck him over while all of the white people just walk away scot-free. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was trying to think, what what are they trying to tell us about that solution to this problem? It doesn't work. But, but also, Paula is part of a—she may not be as wealthy as the Mossbachers— but she's going to the same college that Olivia is going to, their classmates. Mm-hmm. She's still in an upper tier of class in, in the society. And, and she's essentially a tourist activist trying to get involved in something that she doesn't understand or know, basing it off of a, you know, 22-year-old or 20-year-old's, you know, handing down of probably family stories about what happened to them. And, and her suggestion essentially is going to ruin this kid's life. Because, you know, 150000 in theft, that's definitely a felony. Mm-hmm. So so to me, I felt like, you know, Paula was one of the worst characters also. Because she got, she essentially was going to walk away scot-free, insulated because of her class. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, that's why I said to me, this felt like more of a critique on classism you know, with Tanya McQuad using the lower class people to make herself feel better, right? And and it wasn't so much that Belinda was a minority, it's that, that she was a worker. And you mm-hmm. could use her to make yourself feel better because that's what she's there for. She is someone that you're paying to, you know, massage you either physically or mentally into feeling better about your position. So to me, that is the thing that I took away from this most is that how the upper class can get away with taking advantage of people, shitting on each other, doing bad things, and very little you know, consequence came out of it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of good conversation about the show on, on Twitter and on the internet, and one of my favorite comments I saw was that uh, a, a theory postulating that Tanya is an energy vampire. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we definitely have this stratification between the the guests at the hotel and then the staff, and you know I'm not I'm not a man of means by any means, but I'll admit that when I like to, when I travel, I do like to dabble when I can afford it into the the world of some ultra luxury, and in I always feel some discomfort there. It's it's kind of difficult to describe, but having people attend to me is not something that I'm used to or comfortable with. And it, you know, the, the people of this show are expecting it. You know, they're going to, they're going to freak out if they don't get it. I don't remember where I was going with that. Well, no, I think it gets back to the entitlement, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what to me felt like it was about these rich people as a, or, or, people in this upper class 
and, and maybe it's also a critique of just power structures in general. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like kind of like Steve Zahn at the end, he's like, what do you want us to do about it? Do you want us to give us all give all the money away? I know you don't actually want to do that, yeah. you know, but but at the same time, Armand is kind of taking advantage of people, too, like mm-hmm. in, in a power structure thing, like he's taking advantage of the the staff. He's taking advantage of the situation and his a position at the hotel to try and insulate himself from, you know, the mistake he made and to, you know, support his revived drug habit i think what the show did really well is like i feel like at one point in the in the series i related to and like every single one of the characters and then also like i felt kind of like bad that i related to (laughs) every single one of the characters like like the girls the young girls like they're like trying to call out their parents on all their like kind of like homophobic Tend not they're not really homophobic, but they're kind of like you know, like our dated perspectives. Yeah, like old perspectives and point of views, and like why are you even upset about uh, these things? Like one of the Steve Zahn's character finds out his father had a secret homosexual past, and they're like, "Well, does that make him less of a person?" Like they're like, "I was like, oh, I agree with a lot of like I know it was kind of superficial, and they probably just read it in a book, but." I was like, oh, I agree with them. Like, I saw myself in that point of view. And then, like, the son, like, being addicted to technology, but then, like, kind of coming to appreciate nature more. It's like, oh, I kind of see myself there. And then, like, Steve's on, the dad, kind of felt myself relating to him. And then I was like, oh, why is his wife being so mean? And then when you find out he cheated on his wife, I was like, oh, kind of, like, I just, I feel like I saw a little bit of myself in all the characters. And then, yeah, similarly, like, Jay was just saying, I've traveled with Jay some, and yeah, we do kind of like maybe do one nice night to kind of see how the wealthy live. But I'm like, but it does make you feel bad, like just specifically Cambodia. We went to Camp Angkor Wat one time, and that just like made me uncomfortably like aware aware of the difference in like mm. quality of life that. Uh, people have then yeah like i felt like the same way paula felt during the hawaiian dance performance i just felt kind of like man it's like we're making them do like they have to do it i don't know so this this raises another interesting question though because like i I don't know like have you ever been to a texas steak restaurant where they dress up like cowboys i mean yeah yeah and and like i'm not not just saying people don't at least most of the time, actually dress like cowboys. Like that's not the thing that we actually wear. You know, True. surprise. But but also when you go as a tourist to Texas and you go to Texas Roadhouse and everybody's wearing jeans and those shirts that you know somebody wears at a rodeo. Like to me, it's it's a bit of the immersion performance. And also, my other question would be like, would these dances be done otherwise? If we look to Alaska, there's a whole bunch of indigenous languages that are dying off because they don't they're not used anymore, you know, based off of kind of how our society evolved. And there's been like a mad rush to preserve these languages because there's just not another generation interested in learning them. So and again, don't take this as an absolute and utter, you know, defensive of capitalism exploitation. But would those things still exist moving into the modern world, but for things like this? It's a good question. 
Well, quick quick sidebar about this show and travel. Uh, I I looked into where the show was filmed, and it was filmed at the Four Seasons in Maui. And uh, Tony and I, uh, we have a particular affinity for the seasons, as we lovingly call it. Uh, <laughs> and so the that, seasons, though, not the four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the I I was curious, and I looked up how much would it cost to spend a night at this uh, this resort. So would you guys like to take a guess at the the general range of how much a standard, not even a suite that these characters are staying in, just a regular ass hotel room at the the Four Seasons in Maui one night? Five hundred dollars. Nine hundred a night. Eleven. Add those together and you're going to be closer. Wow. Fourteen hundred. Like fourteen hundred dollars a night for the cheapest rooms. Dang, I was guessing like fifteen hundred a night for the suites, but dang. Oh, it was closer to like six thousand for the suites, and the suites on the website were nothing compared to the suites that these characters were staying in. So mm-hmm. now we—I couldn't find any production notes on whether this those interior sets were actually done at the resort or whether those were you know on a soundstage somewhere. So we've got a couple of options here: either one, those suites are already sold and not available; two, soundstage; or three, those suites are so expensive and go to such high rollers that they are launched into that next tier of ultra luxury where the website and the way to get in touch with the people to rent those isn't even available to people like you and me. You know, I, th- I think that's it. Cause like they brought specifically those people in on the boat, which like they're not bringing anybody else in on that boat. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the second category you mentioned. But I would I would also like to offer up a quick defense of Armand's. Now, okay. Uh, d- let me preface this and say that I'm not going to say that I think the things that he did were right or virtuous. Uh, I think that the things that he did were very much intentional, made sense, and made for great television. Uh, because I've spent. Uh, sometime in my life working cust you know basically customer service and his whole way of what he does with Shane of trying to handle him first I 100% understand where I think you guys had mentioned you know why wouldn't he just give the refund well you know it's it's not maybe the most honest thing to do but I can absolutely understand a hotel manager wanting to try and preserve everything he's been paid so far by trying to pull a fast one and remind people of the positives of the room they already have. You know, like if, if you ever had this happen to you before where they, you know, what you have, what you wanted is not available, but they're trying to convince you that what you already have is good enough. Yeah. And no, I, I can understand that, but that's where it gets back to me. Like, I feel like, number one, you're not an owner. And, you know, if if it is, in fact, the hospitality, you know, industry, isn't the customer your highest priority? 
No, you're you're right. And then it it definitely turns when he starts to be spiteful about it, mm. where he says, this guy's going to be trouble. You know what? I'm just going to be an asshole back to him. And again, you know, working with the general public, I can absolutely understand that feeling and that desire, because sometimes, you know, when when you're serving that customer and they're a jerk coming through the door, yeah. then, you know, you don't want to give them good service. Now, you're also right that Armand escalates things because uh, there's one point in the show. I think it's I think it's episode three, the one where they go out on the boat uh, where uh, where Shane and, and Rachel go on on the boat with Tanya. Where at that moment, the the conflict over the room, it it had a chance of blowing over. Because Shane gets Armand's attention is like, hey, I want to talk to you. It's actually not about the room. It's about trying to set up the fancy dinner. So if Armand just does a good job rather than a spiteful job at that point and sets up an actual bona fide romantic dinner for Shane and Rachel, then his conflict with Shane ends at that point. Shane's satisfied. Yeah. He may not even forget about the room. But instead, Armand decides to be spiteful and things start to spiral out of control. Yep. So I think to that's why I say I think what he did makes it makes sense to me. It wasn't necessarily the nicest thing to do, but it made it set up for the escalating tension of the last three episodes, which was a whole lot of fun to watch. Did did you call it like who who here was like Armand Zion? Because I definitely had my I know no they threw Uncle Rico out there to as the the smoke screen. To make you think that's who is going to die with all of his health issues. But I I was like, man, I didn't think about Armand getting stabbed until that last sequence. Me neither. Uh, like, no, I, like, yeah, go ahead. Like, until Shane grabbed the knife while we watched Armand hide, up until that moment, it didn't even blip on my radar that Armand was going to be the one to go. When Armand came into the room, stabbed, I didn't know who. I, I thought when Armand came into the room, I was like, he's not coming out. Because they this one thing I will say about the show that I did think they did really well at was the use of foreshadowing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like they 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 really kind of built up to the events that, you know, that were going to be the big moments. And so with with you know Shane finding out about the Mossbachers and him getting the knife and then the the escalate tensions, when he walked into his room and and Shane had earlier said, hey, you don't need to be by yourself. You know, there's a crazy, you know, person out there and, you know, uh, I, I got to protect us. There was enough foreshadowing. Once it got to that moment, I was like, oh, God, this now we've telegraphed it. He's not getting mm -hmm. out of this. But I, I, I like that when the tension is building, that's when they threw in Uncle Rico to give you another option. So that yeah. you couldn't just be like, oh, Armand's going to die. Um, I also thought that there was a chance that Paulo was going to commit suicide. Like, that was another one, like, over what yeah. had happened. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, oh, Paula, you know, getting getting anxious, getting concerned. What if it flips out that way? Also, if you remember the very last, after Steve Zahn has his heroic moment and saves Nicole, like, even Olivia's demeanor towards her family kind of shifts, right? She kind of drops the act, and it's more like, this is my tribe, um, which I thought was very very alienating of Paula in that sequence. I thought the whole thing got me with Paula. I thought the whole thing was a setup for Paula. Not well, I did think suicide after the robbery uh, went awry, but I thought the whole thing because they 
the girls Livy and Paula have just like a crap ton of medications and drugs that they've mm-hmm. smuggled into Hawaii, which I don't know how they got them on the plane. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> but there's like one. <laughs> uh, but there's like the moment when they're like kind of like counting their supplies and all they're like gathering their resources, like what all they have. And there's like there's only one medication that's like actually a medication. She's like, I have panic attacks, so we can't eat too many of like we can't do too many of this one specific medication. Is it yeah, it's and, and that's like the first thing that uh, Armand starts taking. So I thought the setup was gonna be like he's gonna blow through their whole stash of clonopin. She's actually gonna have a legitimate panic attack and not have any medication. Like that's how she was gonna die. And then I thought they kept referencing like cleaning protocols. I thought I was going to be like a COVID comment. Like I thought they were going to rush him into the pineapple room, uh, Rachel and Shane. And like the German couple was actually really sick with some sort of like actual deadly disease or virus. And like his wife, Rachel, was going to get that disease because of mm-hmm. all of this rushing to get into the room. They're going to finally get in the room and then she's going to get sick with something that the German couple had and die. I thought that would be, I thought they were setting that up too. So they, yeah, until Shane got back in his hotel room at the end of the series, I didn't think it was going to be Armand. It it sounds like all three of us really, uh, how should I say this? That that at least the the mystery of who was going to be the body being loaded on the plane. It it sounds like that was a pretty effective mystery for all of us and kept us guessing. Yep. And I've got a theory for how they did that so well. And okay. I actually I watched the show twice and it didn't quite click for me until the second time. But the the very first scene of this show is Shane in the airport, ostensibly uh, in Maui, waiting for his flight to Honolulu and then eventually back to the mainland. He talks to a couple about his his honeymoon, yada yada. So we what we're left with is Shane watching the human remains being loaded into the plane. So I think that throws us off of both who is the body and who caused the death because we know that it wasn't, uh, we actually know that it wasn't, or it's hinted that it wasn't a suicide or an accidental uh, killing or a natural death because the couple that Shane talks to says, I heard someone was killed at the white Lotus. Oh, I didn't remember that. So you're, you're primed to think murder from the beginning and then it's, well, who's going to be the body? Who's going to be the perpetrator? And for Armand to be the body, when you see that body being loaded onto the plane with Shane going back to the mainland, it hints that this is going to be a guest and not an employee of the resort. So I because think why just, would it be going back to the mainland? Oh, that's good. So I think from the start, we're primed to think that it's a guest. And then for who's the perpetrator? Well, I mean, if somebody murdered somebody, you don't think they're going to be released quickly enough to be on the same plane back to the mainland with the body, do you? No, not at all. So that throws us off as Shane. Now, I did I did read some criticism of that last part, saying it's not realistic that Shane would be released so quickly, even in these accidental circumstances where, you know, criminally from what happened, I can't really say that Shane is at fault. So what the response from the actor who played Shane when he was asked that question was, well, keep in mind, this is the world of television 
And in this world of the White Lotus, these guests are so privileged that he was able to escape any culpability for it. Either he was bailed out early, the cops didn't take him into custody at all, whatever. Basically, the point being that Kai is going to have ramifications for the rest of his life for stealing a bracelet, while Shane killed a man is, and is going to walk home and have no more problems. It's good analysis. I, I The only other thing that, that bothered me about that ending was Quinn. There's no way he gets to that boat. There's no yeah. way he leaves the airport mm-hmm. as 16-year-old. No like, that, that was just a pure fantastical addition to the end that, in a way, kind of burst any level of realism the show had for me at the tail end. Mm-hmm. Like, if maybe, like, why wasn't he, what, and why was no one suggesting, why don't you apply to colleges here? You know? Like, you're wealthy enough that you probably could go and, and, and pay for tuition in Honolulu. And and do exactly what you want, but you are 16, mm-hmm. you know. And you're telling me that they got on that plane and that plane took off without them running off of it to get him. Is this Home Alone? Like, yeah, <laughs> like the reverse of Home Alone, I guess. Talking about Kai. <laughs> Sorry. Good. Talking about Kai. Another thing that made me mad. Which I know you can't think of things in the heat of the moment, but like pretty quick. When this, like, because he is stealing jewelry out of the safe uh, that Paula helped him get into. And uh, the mother, Connie Britton, comes into the room. Like, I just feel like, at minimum, just put the bracelets on the bathroom counter and then they'll, she'll, they'll think that she forgot to put them in the safe. She just left them by the sink. Like, why even steal anything at that point? Why not just run out of the room? And then also, I'm just like, can't you just like uh, flush the toilet and be like, oh, hey, they sent me to check. Some of the toilets have been acting up, but yours seems fine. And just like walk out of the room and you didn't take anything like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why was... not just do like why commit so hard when you're caught? Like you you haven't technically done anything yet except for go into a family's room without permission. Like that's the worst thing you've done so far. Like, well, he did take the bracelets. Yeah, but I mean, well, you could have just, like, like dropped, you thrown him, him on the ground or something. Oh, yeah. Something to or kind put of him like... on the, the kitchen. Like, he was in the bathroom, I think, is where the safe was. Just put him next to the sink, like, quietly, hopefully, and just, like, walk out or, like, make up some bullcrap or just even, like, like hide. Be like, oh, hey, I, I was looking for Paula. She said she was in this room. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there, I feel like there was a lot of options where he could have just left it there and either ran or walked out. He could have just got fired. He wouldn't mm-hmm. have to commit the crime. I don't know. That just bugged me while it was happening. Or or Paula, like her whole plan didn't make sense from the beginning. I mean, if yeah, she really wanted to do this, yeah. she could have taken the bracelets herself. Yeah, it's so. I think it does fit with her character in that she hatched this this crazy scheme but crucially hatched a scheme where she manipulated somebody else into doing the dirty work. Mm-hmm. And, and again, she gets like... to go home and go to college and not really have any consequences either. Mm-hmm. Just like Shane. Yeah. I did feel for her. She did. The actress did a good job, like of looking of portraying extreme guilt. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. How about her her decision at the end to drop the necklace off the boat? What what was your reaction to that? I thought she was about to kill herself. 
Oh, wow. I, I just, I think she didn't want to remember. Like, and again, they, the, the, these people have the luxury of forgetting any trauma, so to speak, that happened mm-hmm. here, any harm that they caused, any, you know, burdens they laid upon the staff because they get to go back from their vacation to their, their lives. And I think that was one of the things, again, that gets back to kind of like how the upper class gets to exploit the lower class and, and it's no big deal. And especially at the very end when Belinda has to go from just absolutely defeated look to the fake smile welcoming the next batch of people there. There's not even time to process what happened, right? Like they have to get back into theater, into the presentation of this is your vacation. It's all about you. Let's make you happy. Mm-hmm. Which again, if you showed up somewhere and you know the people were all depressed, it would not really make you want to come back. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess that I, leads I, me in. Sorry. Sorry. Good. I was just going to say that leads me into, I guess, because it's so obvious what's going to happen. I guess Tanya is my least favorite character just because I didn't care at all about what happened to her. Mm. <laughs> and it was very easily seen that she was never going to help Belinda. So it was just like, I was just waiting for that to happen. Yeah, the telegraphs were huge. Yeah. What was the point of the the little scene we got in the last episode where a very handsome and young man approaches Tanya at the pool and tries to chat her up and she immediately rejects him? It was a real quick scene. What 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 was the point of that? I think he was trying to find a sugar mama. No, I understand that I understand yeah. why the man was approaching her, but what was the point in in the show? Was that to to bolster our belief that she and Uncle Rico were gonna make it? I, don't know. I, you know, that I, I took that as him being like a, a male gigolo or something like, mm-hmm. you know, he was looking for someone that he could make some money off of. And perhaps she also being a wealthy, you know, woman of means had run into in the past. And here she's turning down the ability to use her money to get relationship for someone who somewhat seems interested in her and willing to sit through some of the crazy. Um yeah, you know, because like that whole sequence with Rico, uh, and I know that's not his actual name. What was his name in the show? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember either. Like I've, just, I, I've constantly referred to him as Uncle Rico. I definitely like sent a text to all the guys I went and saw Napoleon Dynamite with in high school, saying yeah, Uncle Rico returns. <laughs> the guy from Not Black Lives Matter. <laughs> That was a funny joke, dude. That was terrible. Well, the moment he said BLM, I was like, Bureau of Land Management. Yeah, that's going to be awkward. <laughs> oh, gosh. I could not. His Go illness, like, man, what kind of illness is it where you can you cough to the point where you can barely breathe, but you have no problem swimming all the time, like laps, exercise? Like, how? What kind of illness is this? Mysterious illness number one? Yeah, T- TBD, oh. you know? Okay. Okay, good point. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like, every time he needs an excuse, he's like, I'm going to go swim. He's doing laps like two or three times in the series. And I'm like, how can you do anything that's like cardiovascularly like straining, but then like you sit up in bed every once in a while and just have a coughing attack like you're about to start coughing up blood? I, it kind of reminds me of the way they portrayed tuberculosis in like old timey stories where it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm dying of the consumption, but only when it needs to be done for the story <laughs> <laughs> i got the black lung pop 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, last last comment on this stupid robbery, and then I'm done. I promise. <laughs> but like these kids all had their cell phones attached to their hips. I know Kai did, and I know their cell phone. They're sitting on the dock. They're not in the middle of the ocean. I know they had cell phone servers. Why is Paula not freaking calling him? Texting abort, 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 or calling just like hey about that about that date we had later. Do, don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not gonna be able to do it. Like we can't. Like yeah. Like, what the frick? She just like, eh, I hope it works out. I, again, I think I think just kids back to immaturity, not not thinking. I again, I I did, Paula just did not actually care about Kai. It was it was tourist activism. That's that's how I felt about it. Yeah. Now we we've all been pretty critical of this show, but at least for me, it's been almost like you you want to criticize things that you like more. Uh, in a, yeah. in a strange kind of way, uh, like overall, this show really worked for me. And a couple of things that you guys have said really kind of synthesize it in my mind that I think one of the ways the show succeeded was its lack of backstory for our characters. Mm. Cause I think crucially we have no flashbacks. Yeah. We have a little bit of exposition in the dialogue about who everybody is, but you know, like, where do these people live specifically in the U.S.? It's left pretty open. What exactly do they do? We get some vague descriptions for some of them, but not all. Where do these girls go to college? Is it Harvard? Is it Arizona State? Because honestly, I'd believe either one. Like, <laughs> I think that w- with that, My guess it, is California. It it uh, it allows us to fill in those gaps. A little bit and to some degree these characters become for each one of us whoever we want or or need them to be i think what really what really put this in my mind was what tony said about identifying with each of the characters at some point in the story mm-hmm. because that you're 100 percent right that happened for me i just it hadn't really occurred to me until you said it i did you know i definitely yeah sorry no no go ahead i just felt yeah i'm like feel like I don't know, kind of like maybe think about my own opinions because a lot of times I'm just like, I agree with what this character's saying. And then like a character's arguing with him and I'm like, oh, now I see how like my own ideas are like wrong, I guess. Well, I think I think number one, it, it gets back to nuance and how complex a lot of these issues are. Like I think one of my favorite points is where, you know, Steve Zahn is like, I used to be the good guy in the room saying, yeah, those guys are bigots. And now I'm a de facto bigot because I look like them. And like my, I, just in my own experience with like my family, I've had them say, you know, hey, we grew up in desegregation. My dad was a white kid desegregated into an all black school, you know? And so he has a very unique perspective on that time period that I just, we were born so past that we don't even know about it, right? And so I feel like a lot of times, like when there is that generational divide, there's a lot of things that the younger kids don't understand or know. And at the same time, with with like we were talking about, like out of date perspectives, the parents don't really care to <laughs> update or or understand. But it, it it's not a easy. Oh well, let's just give money to everybody and solve the problem. You know, problem. It, it's it's a lot more complex and overlapping, and it doesn't have an easy answer, you know? So I, I think that it's, 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 they did a really good job of pointing out how messy all these problems are and mm-hmm. how there aren't really good 
easy one size fits all answers for anything. And it, it, it does make you think because it doesn't, it doesn't just portray the white people as bad, you know, like, I mean, there were white people that would be getting taken advantage of too. Like, like think about like Dylan and all the guys that are working with uh, Murray. Right. I thought that was really kind of interesting instead of it being like a guy taking advantage of, of women who work for him. It's a guy kind of taking advantage of guys who work for him. Mm -hmm. He's giving them drugs. So they'll party with him and, and, you know, licking butts, which, you know, that scene was super awkward. Um, (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. No, that, the, 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 the the telegraphing on that one, I just was like, this is just the slowest moving train wreck ever. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Quick sidebar on the on those uh, one of my favorite characters that we haven't talked about yet is Hutch, also known as uh, the boy with the khaki face. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, because he's not only does he end up partying naked with Dylan and uh, and Armand in the last episode, uh, he's also the bartender in the episode where Armand goes to the bar and gets wasted just drinking straight whiskey. And offers to fuck Steve Zahn in the ass. Oh, oh God. Would you like to? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like, to be fair, it seemed like he did want to find out. You know, he thought about it. You can Yeah, see he was consider. considering it. Yeah. That next day, that was that was that was definitely also super awkward. Amazing. <laughs> I liked the speaking of the Moss, I liked how open like of a family dynamic, like conversationally the moss box were with each other like they told their kids to cut it out on certain subjects but i felt like it was like they could really say whatever they were thinking and feeling at this whatever time they felt it and it wasn't really like the parents weren't really judging them about it and they weren't like super guarded really i guess they hid the fact that steve zahn had an affair for years and years but i just like i don't know i kind of like the fight the family dynamic there in that group I just looking up. Sorry, real fast. I didn't know this, but Dylan was an American Vandal. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who he was, but yeah, that that he was Brandon Galloway. I don't remember who that was in American Vandal, but I know we both watched it and really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know either, but American Vandal, amazing, amazing. Molly Shannon also was really performed well in this. Oh yeah, as like that. Yeah. A horribly entitled, hateable mother-in-law, hundred yeah. percent. She's just really good at playing those type roles. I, I can I just say I, I was rooting for Steve Zahn to have a redemption story, like as everything kind of was unfolding. Like I, to, and I, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit too much of you know white guys get too much leeway. But it really set it up for him to redeem himself and kind of get back in good graces with his wife after all kind of the stressors and situations that unfolded. And I I thought that her criticism of him telling Quinn about the affair, she's like, you know, I didn't want to have that conversation. I didn't want to talk about it. This still hurts me. That was incredibly selfish. And I thought that was a really good conversation and way to kind of put it into perspective. Yeah, you're having an existential crisis, but you have to remember that you – are not just telling your secret, you're telling mine. And and so I felt bad because I, I at the same time I understand him wanting to be honest with his son after having this moment realizing that his dad was not honest with him, but it was very selfish and reckless in the way he went about it. 
yeah, it did a really good job of making me uh, like the mother's character a lot, Connie Britton's character. Yeah, because at first she's kind of portrayed as this workaholic, kind of icy person before you find out the reason behind it. Yeah, and then like I almost like the opposite, like. I was almost mad that she kind of like seemed to turn a corner just because he tackled that guy to the ground. I'm like, that is really nice and brave, but I feel like that's something maybe even a passerby on the street that saw someone getting mugged without a weapon would do like at least push someone out of the way or something. Like I don't want to take away from the act of bravery, but I just was like, I didn't feel like she would be that forgiving that quickly. To just like it almost like wipe the slate completely clean. Well, with with existential moments like that where you think you're gonna die, it it shifts perspectives, right? So, I guess to me, I I agree. There still needs to be a discussion about that, and you know, me culpa. But I also think that that there was a that's kind of a little bit of a situation where that th- those other things faded into the background to some degree. Um, I mean, even I guess like a renewed honeymoon period, if you will, but though that that will eventually fade and they'll still have to deal with whatever issues they have. At least that's how I took it. Yeah. Did anybody believe did anybody believe that all these characters actually read as much as they did in this series? Hell no. The guy was just <laughs> blink the I've entire time. So, yeah. <laughs> Shane is reading books, both the girls are reading multiple books. Like what? How I, yeah, like uh, my my in-laws, they have children who are approximately the ages of the, the college students and the, the kids that we see in this show. And I have never once seen any of them with a physical book in their hands. Like the girls were honest when they said they had book prop people, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that now, was pretty meta. Now, I do 100 percent believe that it was going to take Shane his entire life to read one book. I do believe that part. <laughs> I, and Blink's not that hard of a book to read. I, it's just funny because, like, my dad wrote, read Blink like last year. So mm-hmm. it just it's one of those books that, like, it's like a pop culture. It's, was it Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah, and like, I I really like Malcolm Gladwell, but like in you know in measured segments because <laughs> it is. A, I struggle to say pseudo-intellectual because I wouldn't say that Malcolm Gladwell himself was a pseudo-intellectual. I just think that the stuff he puts out is it's marketed as higher-minded than it actually is, if that makes sense. I haven't listened to that. Like, it's really more intended to make you feel smart than it is to, you know, actually inform anybody. That's, That's interesting. Well, but it would make sense why Shane would be wanting to read that then. Yeah. I guess. Sorry, go ahead. Am I? A, can't think of a word. Uh, lazy person. If like I agree with uh, Rachel's point of view, like she wants to be something more than just like a trophy wife. But <laughs> is it messed up? It's like I would not mind being a trophy husband. Yeah, like, not not. I'm not at trying all. to shame her for what she wants for her life, but I'm like, man, I kind of would enjoy that. Personally, that's only that's only me talking speaking for myself well i think it's back to perspectives like what i was saying earlier you you can look at this as i'm in you know you know encapsulated as a a trophy wife in a cabinet so that he can show me around or i can use this to fund what i want to do i can go learn to write i can go write about things that 
are not puff pieces, you know? Like, I think it just comes down to perspectives. You can look at it and say, well, you know, if I was a trophy husband and had the freedom to do X, Y, or Z, I'd take that advantage, you know? But it gets back to, you know, I don't know, a struggle in our society about independence and, and women and how long that they've been essentially seen as you you work until you you get married. My, my grandmother actually told me that, she, like, when she was working in, you know, the 1950s that once you got married the company just that ended your contract and so i think that that's all they're trying to get that that's cultural social issue on the table and it's Mm -hmm. the easiest person to do it with obviously the newlyweds but i just feel like people can people are adaptive and i feel like today a lot of those issues and stereotypes don't always fit the modern family so I know lots of, of uh, I, I know at least two people where they're kind of like Mr. Dad, you know, and, and the wife is the breadwinner and they have, they really enjoy raising their kids. So I, to me, I, I think it comes down to the individual. Yeah. I know it really will. Like it is gotta be really hard when like the power dynamic of financial like offerings is so it's always going to be, like you can be independent, but you're really always at the liberty of the other person. That if it's shifted so far another way, no, for sure you're not going to like yeah, embed like, yourself in Afghanistan, probably. You know, being Shane's wife, but yeah. you know, I'm I'm just saying, make it what you will. And even at the end, whenever she came back, she's like, I'll, "I'll I'll be happy." You know, that kind of broke my heart. Yeah, <laughs> I felt bad for. Her. I was like, yeah, oh. I was like. In my mind, begging her not to do it. Yeah. I think I'm just too personally attached to Alexandra Daddario. As an actress from a distance and purely objective. I feel bad for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to say this also. The visuals, the camera angles, the, the music. Oh my god, the music is, is a 10 out of 10. Uh, for me like I thought that the production of this show was outrageously high I I felt like it nailed so much of capturing the feel of both light and dark of vacation and you know stress of what's going on in so many ways and the music supplemented that the visuals so well that that to me that that brought it to a an upper tier of of shows that we have seen a hundred percent agree uh, especially about the music, I read one review from I think it was the BBC that described the soundtrack as Hitchcock Hawaiian. I was like, Ooh, that I nails it. That is good. I thought the water camera work was like, who do they hire? Planet Earth cinematographers <laughs> to do all this like water capture? Like I was like, man, everything in the water looked amazing. I'm like, yeah. I feel like you had to be you'd have to be specialized in underwater filming to get stuff to look this good and i think the 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 theme of this show the the opening credits theme i think this is an example of how to do it right and how this one fa this one succeeds where mosquito coast failed and even where succession failed too where I thought that the the opening theme very well set us up emotionally for what was going to happen it felt foreboding and you know, kind of hinted at things to come. And then it also came back 
lots of times throughout the show during during the episodes uh, to to heighten the tension, and they did it in in different ways. It was rearranged with different instruments. Succession tried to do that, except they they wouldn't rearrange it. They just play the theme again while we were watching like Kendall go up and down in a helicopter. You know, like they it, it didn't make sense the way they did it. And then Mosquito Coast, like we talked about last time, it just you know, it didn't leave an impression on us. This one, though, I think nailed it. Nailed it. Completely agree. In other ways, I was watching this show, and I, maybe season two is better. I know it's won a lot of awards like we did. We talked about when we did the Succession podcast. But I was like, this is how I want to make – I want to watch dislikable, almost asshole characters. Yeah. Because they all had redeeming moments or qualities. Like, Yeah. There were payouts. Like, yeah, I was like, man, this is what I wanted for. I know the settings and plots are so different, but like, I wanted the dynamics of these characters to be the dynamics in Succession. I think if season one, I would have rated it like a ten or something, probably if that existed for Succession. No, I, I, I was actually whenever I realized that this was about a bunch of rich white people again, I was like, oh man, we're going right back in. But I, I agree. <laughs> like, th- I. There was enough about them, and I think it's what you said, Tony, about how you can see yourself a little bit in all these people, right? Um, that 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 is what gave the redeeming qualities to anybody. Um, like I, I absolutely see, think Shane's a turd, and I've absolutely been absolutely frustrated with the service industry whenever they're kind of jerking me around and not just fixing the issue. So, like, same with Steve was Steve's on, like you know, wanting to be honest and wanting to. To, to you know speak his mind and at the same time putting your foot in your mouth and causing more drama so uh, to me i think that humanizing them and giving that you the flaws and the upside and having these payouts was such a, a much better tapestry of events in telling the story about these people and critiquing it in a way that kind of leaves you like there's no real hero right of the story it's just kind of like these events are are playing out so mm-hmm. you're not really rooting against or for anyone you're just kind of experiencing what is happening where i feel like in succession you're supposed to be rooting for kendall and i just couldn't stand the guy <laughs> fair enough so uh, i guess are we ready for pre-show post-show discussion on on scores Sure. I think I've uh, covered my topics. Uh, Let's see. Who wants to go first this time? Well, actually, before Uh, we uh, go, we get into this, how are we, uh, what object are we using for our custom rating system this week? uh, My submission for the rating system is pineapple sweets. Pineapple sweets. Um, Love it. Yeah, I, I second that. All right. Well, Tony, tell us how many pineapple sweets is uh, is the White Lotus for you? Well, before the pod, I bumped it up a little higher. Like I can't. It's hard to separate. Like how much do I just like the actors and actresses versus like the show and like the production value? So I had it a seven point five pineapple sweets, but I think just I think I'll bump it up even higher after the pod discussions to an eight pineapple sweets out of ten. Eight pineapple sweets. Yeah, I can see that. How about you, Aaron? Uh, I'm a very similar uh, thing. I, I when I was looking at Chris, I was like, I feel like this is like a seven five eight. 
But after kind of discussing more of it and, and a little different perspective, I'd actually probably give it an eight five because I do think that they nail the the storytelling is very well done. I I feel like it the way it's the reason why it's not like a nine or a ten is because I it's billed as a critique of white colonialism and I, and I I don't feel that that is in fact what they are able to execute, but they do execute a critique of issues in our society very well and things that are very topical and current. It's just that I feel like it's very, it, it's it's easier to just label this as a white colonialism and not as classism because that is the bigger hot topic issue of our day, and and so for that's why I would say it, they're going for something they didn't quite hit it, but what they did give us was a fantastic presentation. Also, cringe is not my soup du jour, so to speak, of of shows. There was there was a lot of cringe in this show. Um, so that's why I'm going to keep it at that eight five. I'm I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you just said, Aaron. Uh, I think for for me going in the show was an eight, and coming out, I think the the positives that I discovered are pretty much equally weighed with the negatives. So I think I'm going to stick with eight before and eight pineapple sweets after. You know, just like you said, was the show perfect? No, you know, it, it had some problems that we discussed. It could have they, they could have tightened some things up. But overall, this was the first show in a while that I was excited to watch week on week. I I can't remember the last time that I contemporaneously watched a show as it was released and then was excited on the day of the finale to to watch that last episode and and, and have it all wrapped up. You know, I think the last show I really did that with was Game of Thrones. And by the end, I really wasn't that excited. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. All right. Well, we've got uh, we've got an eight from Tony and eight point five from Aaron and eight from me. Let's see where that puts us on the board. All right. We've got an average score of eight point one six. That's very high score. Looks like on our leaderboard that puts it out of. 40 this is will be our 41st show and it's right at number seven right above season one of atlanta i'm sorry below season one of atlanta and no i'm sorry man I, fractions fuck me up sometimes <laughs> uh, uh, it beats season one of atlanta and is just behind the first season of doom patrol wow doom patrol scored that high i did not remember that yeah, we we enjoyed Doom Patrol. Looks like we had a an eight point five, a seven, an eight point five, and a nine. I have to say, Brendan Fraser, I feel like gets a lot of, of bonus points just for it kind of also being his redeeming story. Fair Are enough. we in the Fraser sense, like the reconnaissance from like five years ago? Is he gonna make a <laughs> be able to make a is he gonna be able to make a comeback? Is Fraser gonna make a comeback? Yeah, Brendan Fraser. Oh, I I think he is. Like he's getting more roles outside of Doom Patrol now. So, and yeah, and I think lot. that the post Me Too era has helped him kind of get a a redemption from the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I watched The Mummy one, and man, I still love that movie. So good, so good. He's just like a good leading. He's like a better Chris Pratt, is what he is. <laughs> I like that. He's like, he's like a, or he was back in the day. I'm sure he's not anymore. But it's like 
It's like, man, if uh, 90s Brendan Fraser was in Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, it'd be even better, probably. I'm I'm gonna agree with you here, Tone, because I I I think that Brendan Fraser, especially Mummy era Brendan Fraser, is it's funny, it's action, it's all the stuff that you that that they kind of like nailed with Star Lord. So it would have been it would have been a great choice, a great trade out. Well, well we've got I, our scores in. Shall we consult the wheel of randomonium for what we're gonna uh, watch next? I think that is. Do you want to set us up, or do you want me to set us up? Um, I'm, I'll let the master set us up. All right. So for those of you who are now watching the video podcast, we have the wheel of randomonium up on the screen and we are doing what we had discussed previously, the, the season two wheel of randomonium. So we're doing a show that we've already watched at least the first season of, and we're going to watch the second follow-up, the sophomoric season. And what we have on the wheel today is not necessarily individual offerings, but just four shows that we chose from the list that we all pretty much enjoyed and wanted to dig deeper into. So we have What We Do in the Shadow Season 2, The Boys, How to Sell Drugs Online, parentheses Fast, and AP Bio. So I'm um, going to just do a quick shuffle, and then away we go. Where's our monk chant sound effects? Oh, what we do in the shadows, yes. Hey-o. Excellent. And this is this is good timing because they can't. This season three is also going to be premiering in October. And it's this week. Is, is it? Oh, I thought it was like in October, man. No, it's uh, coming up. And like, something. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I feel like like all the seasons are shifting. <laughs> <laughs> September second. That's uh, that's Thursday. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I think. Uh, I don't know what network it is. I think Wellington Paranormal has made it over to the States now, right? Which was like, has the cops mm-hmm. from the movie What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, it's on HBO Max. What okay. show is this? It's like it, What We Do in the Shadows before What We Do in the Shadows, I think. It, it's called Wellington Paranormal. It's a spinoff from the What We Do in the Shadows movie, if you've seen that. Where, you know how they, they interact with cops at one point? Yeah. It's about those cops. Okay, that's interesting. No, I, I hadn't. I've only seen bits and pieces of the movie. What we did in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just when we watched the show, that was kind of my first induction into it. You know, Lindsay's been watching Volunteering Paranormal, and she says it's really good. So you know that might be some extra credit out there. Oh, corollary show. Yeah. I'll have to give it a go because I think I, I need to rewatch. I think I've watched most of season two of What We Do in the Shadows. So I'll have to rewatch it, but maybe I'll supplement that with Wellington Paranormal. I love the characters in the show. I'm so excited. And also Matthew Barry, just like hands down one of my all time <laughs> favorites. There there are a few actors that if he's that, that they're in something that I don't care what it is, I'll watch it. And he's definitely one of them. Have you watched it's, season two, Aaron? I'm pretty sure I already have, but it's also been a while since I watched it. So I, I'm I'm excited to rewatch. In fact, I may watch season one and two just to kind mm-hmm. of prep myself for season three. Yeah, I think it's in season two, but Jackie Daytona might be yeah, yes, yeah, just Jackie for that Daytona. one episode. <laughs> just for that one episode. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm excited. And I guess since number one, I think we've all kind of already started watching it or seeing it. I think we could probably do this one pretty quick too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I'm excited. Very good. Well, I think that is it for the show show, ladies and gentlemen. 
Yeah, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you to to my co-host Aaron and to Tony for being here for the discussion. See you next time, America. Salutations, Internet. Auf Wiedersehen. Ah!